Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Now, before I introduce you to the amazing guest that I have on today's show, I just would like to have a a thank you, a shout out to everybody who has congratulated me on the 100th episode of the show, um, saying what a great milestone. And I have to say, when I first started recording the first five or six episodes of Scale Up Your Business, I didn't think I was going to make it to 100. It was a somewhat challenging time, uh, but hopefully I've improved. And uh, everyone enjoyed the conversation that I had with Mr. Rob Moore. He's definitely a prolific entrepreneur himself. The disruptive entrepreneur, as he is called, always has an opinion on all things business growth, scale up. And uh, as I said, uh, during that interview, I wouldn't have started Scale Up Your Business had it not have been for him. So a big thank you to Rob Moore. Now, today's episode. Do you know anyone that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk who sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andre Bocelli serenade them while they ate their pasta? Well, I can tell you before I interviewed Steve Sims, I had not met anyone like that either. And after you listen to today's interview with Steve, you are now going to know someone who's done those amazing things. He has been quoted by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine as the real-life Wizard of Oz. And he is the best-selling author of the book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, sought-after coach, speaker, has some amazing networks and associations, including the Pentagon and Harvard, to name but two. So what we're going to get into today is the art, the skill of relationships. It would be misinformed, misconstrued to say that it's just about persuasion and influence. In fact, we talk a little bit about that. There's no question that Steve is an awesome storyteller and influencer, but not influence in the way that we talk about it these days. He's just fantastic at asking for what he wants. And often we miss the simple things in life. We often kind of make these things up in our head and, you know, we want something, but we're too afraid to ask. We're worried if someone says no, that's going to break us in two. Well, Steve is so comfortable in his own skin. He just asks and he keeps on asking. So if you get one thing from the show today, it's that. It's that if you want something in life, be dogged, be determined, just go after it and don't take no for an answer. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show, the amazing Steve Sims. All righty. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business for another week. It's Nick Bradley here, and I am delighted to have with me today, Steve Sims. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to play with you with your kind of intro now because it's a bit of fun. So quoted as being the real life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. Steve Sims is a best-selling author with Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, sought-after coach and speaker of a variety of networks, groups, 
just an awesome array. And you've worked with uh, Elton John, Elon Musk. Crazy. What? Why the? Why the real life Wizard of Oz? What's that about? Do you know that actually bothered me? That was Entrepreneur that first came out with that, and they said, "God, you're like the real life Wizard of Oz," which is concerning because when you think about it, this is like an old old Ford guy that hangs behind a curtain. So did I look like some kind of pervert behind a curtain? Um, but then they then Ford got hold of it as well, and I was just the man that you know billionaires, and uh, I did have some millionaires, but most of my book was billionaires. They came to when they wanted to meet the Pope or play piano with Elton John and stuff like that. So they just named me the real-life Wizard of Oz, the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. Wow. Okay, and you've done some cool stuff. So you said he like um, taking people down to see the wreck of the Titanic, uh, closed museums in Florence, a dinner party with Andre Bocelli, where he serenaded you while they ate their pasta. So, I mean, I mean, there's a whole heap of stuff here. What exactly? What exactly do you do? I talk to people. Um, that's that's funny enough, and I got stories and get into that. But um, my superpower is ignorance. I've never understood that anything is impossible. And so while everyone's kind of like you know all held up with, oh that can't happen. In fact, the best thing I like to hear is when people come to me and they go, well I'd like to do this, but it's impossible because that just is fuel to the fire and it's just an immense challenge for me. And I know there is nothing impossible. So then I just start kind of like eating the elephant bit by bit by bit, and I pull it off. Now, the funny thing is, the more extreme things you pull off, and it didn't always happen like this. It'd be a case of, you know, I want a yacht. And then it was a case of, I want a yacht with a string quartet. And then I want a yacht with a string quartet, and I want Celine Dion. So it it stepped up. And as I got more well-known for doing these miraculous, amazing things, um, it became easier because I would go to like the museum in Florence and go, hey, I want you to shut down because at nine o'clock tonight, I want to set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And just as they're about to go, don't be stupid, you know, we don't do that. You turn around and go, because I did this with Guns N' Roses. I did this with the Pope. I did this with Elon Musk. And I would like this to be another one of those magical moments. And they go, oh, he's obviously got experience in it. And so they let it happen. So the more amazing things you do, the more amazing things are possible for you to do. But it all starts with asking the question that can we do it? Yeah, I can see that. And also the fact that no one's probably asked those bloody questions before. So, you know. oh, I've, got a, I've got a ridiculous story. Uh, can I give you a quick one? Yeah, do it. This is going to be right. a whole podcast of stories, Steve. So let's right. go so for it. So I'll, I'll give you the condensed beginning, then I'll give you the PowerPoint. And the PowerPoint is there to benefit everyone listening to this. So I had a client that wanted to do a fantastic Italian meal. His only caveat to me was he wanted a dining experience to impress his mother-in-law and father-in-law um, in Florence. So it was that word experience that stopped me going to the Italian version of Open Table. So I actually took over the museum, the Accademia di Galleria, set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David, and as they're eating that pasta, that's when I brought in Andrea Bocelli to serenade them. Oh, now, man. That, was, that was incredible. That was amazing. I pulled some favors. I contacted some very powerful clients I've got in Italy to get me introduced to the people that could make it happen. But here's the story. Here's the most powerful part of that. All the powers to be, all the controllers, all the owners, all the heads uh, whether it be within Andrea Bocelli's camp, whether it be in 
the, the city of Florence, whether it be in the academia, the gallery, they were all behind me because I had credibility with them. You know, they knew who I was. If they didn't know who I was, the people recommending me had that power and credibility. There was one guy, the curator of this museum. Now, like everything, if someone that owns it says, yeah, let's do it, he's never the one that actually does it. He passes it down to someone to make it happen. This curator quite simply hated me. You know, he looked at me like a little rich kid that would go around doing these amazing things for, uh, you know, overprivileged rich people. And as far as he was concerned, we had no knowledge or understanding of the artwork. So it was kind of a bit offensive to him. And I can understand that. It was his passion. But any time I had to ask this guy for anything, there was resistance. You know, like when you talk to your wife and she's in a bad mood and you oh, go, yeah. what's, wrong? what's wrong with you? And she goes, nothing, nothing. And you so know it was like passive. Wrong. It was like what we call passive aggressive type of behavior. So they're kind of saying something to you, but you know, deep down, they're not really saying the real thing. The eyeballs are hoping I'm just going to erupt in flames at any second now. Yes. Um, so this guy, every time we needed anything, he'd look at me and be like, okay. And it was that kind of thing. So on the night of the event, Andrea Bocelli is in the corner, just serenading him, warbling up his tones. The clients hadn't turned up yet. The chefs and the uh, table uh, decorators were getting that already. Andrea's son was in there because he was the pianist. Veronica, who's Andrea's wife, was stood next to me. And this curator was on the other side of, uh, of the wall to me, just, just folded arms, just watching all of this. And I had, I had known that I had to handle this guy because he was annoying and he was like a little, I'll be rude, but he was like a little bitch, you know? So I stood there and I thought, and this is where I'm wrong. This is where I'm, this is where I'm at fault. But I thought to myself, right, I'm going to get that little prick. You know, so I, I, I said, hey, you know, come over here, come over here. So he walks over to me, stood next to me, arms folded, watching Andrea just getting warmed up. So I thought to myself, I'm going to play with this little guy and, you know, teach him a lesson for giving me, you know, some headache. And I said to him, so look at that table. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? You know, what do you think of that? I said, you know, everything that would happen. He was like, no, it is, it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I said, look at that. Andrea Bocelli's getting ready to serenade people while they're eating their dinner. Can you believe it? Andrea Bocelli is your musical act during a dinner party for six people? Can you believe that? And he's like, no, it is amazing. It is wonderful. It is brilliant. And I said, and all of this at the feet of the most iconic statue in the world. Can you believe that? And I'm just, I'm getting him all set up to give him a jab. Again, I was being very selfish, very immature, but hey ho, you know we get. It's a great that. story, though, Steve. Keep going, because I'm I'm captivated oh, yeah. for the punchline now. <laughs> so I was, I said to him, "Can you believe this?" He's like, "No, it is fantastic." And I thought, right, well, I've got I've got three confirmations out of him. Now's where I go for the slap. So I turned around and I said, "So, how do you think Steve Sims got to pull all of this off?" And at that moment, I was expecting that no one's as connected as you, no one's as smooth as you no one can negotiate like you the little shit didn't even look at me he had his arms crossed and all he said was no one's ever asked and that was it it crumbled oh, man. me killed oh. me now i will say <laughs> that he started laughing because he realized he'd got the better of me and we've been friends ever since but i actually came back to los angeles where i'm doing this uh, video from now 
And I actually started phoning up people I know at the Pentagon and the White House and Harvard and all of these amazing people that I've worked with. And I said to them, hey, I'm just running through some stuff and I'm just staying in contact. How was it we were able to do this? And, you know, every single one of them came back and they went, well, you asked. And that's why I suddenly realized people don't ask for what they want. They ask for what they think is possible, plausible, achievable, but they never ask for what they dreamt or desired or lusted for. Yeah. And I'm not quite, as you're talking here, right, we said we talk about relationships, but I'm now starting to think about influence and um, the ability to be able to be, you know, because I, I love the definition of influence is this. It's not, it's not your ability to convince someone else. It's your ability to convince someone else that you believe it. Right. And even the way you just told that story, Steve, you're a pretty compelling, convincing guy. So you, the way you ask the question is going to be more powerful than I think so, how some people may ask the question. Does that make sense? So I can Maybe say, I... hey, hey, can I please have Andre Bocelli, uh, uh, please? Right. I don't think you'd do it like that. I don't, you know, I've only known you for 30 seconds and there's no way in the world you would kind of grovel around like a little girl asking that question. You know, there's just no way you're too direct for that. Um, but I think a lot of it does have to have to do with the tonality of the question. But also I learned something very early on, which was the key mistake you made in your question. You asked a question that the person could have answered with a yes or a no. And whenever you do that to a new connection, the answer will always be no, because it's the shorter answer that they can give. Ah, so okay. I never did that. I would contact Andrea Bocelli to come and serenade my clients. And I would ask them what time would they like the car to pick them up? Would they prefer seven o'clock or eight o'clock? Because you'll be serenading the clients at nine. You know, so how do you I, step that up? Let's play with that for a second. So this is, but you've already built some rapport and you've already started the conversation somewhere. So it doesn't just start with that question. Obviously, it starts no, with there's it a build up here. And you've already brought, you've already mentioned it. You already know the answer. You see, I'm no rocket science uh, scientist. And again, it takes you three seconds to realize this is as deep as I get. Um, I communicate with people in a very transparent, not authentic, hate that word, in a very transparent manner. People know when I walk into the room what I'm after, what I'm after and what I'm bringing to the party. They know that, okay? So I'm very transparent about my questions and I never poise the question myself. I always get someone else to do it. So if I wanted to contact you, for argument's sake, and we were talking about Henry earlier, this our mutual friend, okay? If you didn't know who I was, but I knew that you were in, in Henry's world and you had respect for Henry, I'd get Henry to make the introduction. When I wanted to get hold of Andrea Bocelli, I didn't know how to get hold of Andrea Bocelli, but I happened to be working at the Vatican at the time. So I got the Vatican, who knows Andrea Bocelli, to make the introduction. So if you can be introduced, then that's how you, you, you basically ride in on the coattail of that credibility. And the daft thing is, we're all being introduced today somewhere and not knowing it. And we use that as our social feeds, our, our Facebook, our LinkedIn. All of those things are a way of introducing us. Now, if you're an amateur and you're doing it badly, then you're going to turn up at that party with a very bad introduction. So everything you do, whether it be social feeds, phoning someone, emailing them for the first time, texting them, Make sure that you go in as best a credibility as you possibly can by nine times out of 10, getting someone else to bring you into the party. Yeah, I get it. Okay, it's like being invited to a dinner party. If you're invited to the dinner party by that person, you already have acceptance, right? Yep. For everyone else in the room who you don't necessarily know. I mean, I use this all the time sometimes if I partner with 
people who have got like communities that I want to be part of. You know, if I'm invited into that community, it's much easier and more, you know, transparent to use your word, um, to be accepted in that place. But this, you know, this stuff, this this stuff, and I, I want to play on this a bit because as as with most things, this stuff sounds really simple and it is simple, but no one fucking does it. Well, they don't do it well. You are, you are so right there. It is ridiculously, stupidly simple. I have no care about the word no. Um, if I get a no, then I've either asked the wrong question or the wrong person. And wow, I, will yes. just, I will just go and try a different angle. Like if you want to get into a house, you've got two doors and about 20 windows. There's multiple ways to get into that house. If someone at the front door says no, go around the back door, climb through the window. There's multiple ways of doing it, and that is simple, but you're right. So many people, and this is the daft thing, if you say to someone, if you could do anything, what would it be? They would turn around and go, oh, I'd like to play piano with Elton John. Now, if you don't say anything, they will continue with, oh, but I don't know Elton John, and why would he want to play? I can't even play the piano. People spend more time on the excuses and the reasons why they can't do anything rather than focusing all that attention on why they should. Yeah. So how much of this then is the practicality of doing it versus getting in someone's head? Ooh, That's I what think, I mean by that. Yeah, I do. I think that the, the problem is, and again, we can go back to the, how you answer, ask the question. Most people are very, uh, in, very much intimidated by the ask. You know, a lot of people don't like to ask for anything. Um, so a lot of people kind of bow. I, I had a, an event I did with Richard Branson. And I'd worked with him for a few years. And I had a client of mine turn up that wanted to meet Sir Richard Branson. As Richard was coming to him, and Richard does a special kind of walk because he's always taking, you know, handshakes and selfies. So he can be 12 feet away from you, and it'll still take half an hour for him to get to you. But as he was getting closer, my client literally started to bow. You know, psychologically, he thought, oh, I've, I've got to kind of bow to it's Sir Richard Branson. And I... I smacked him on the back of the head and I'm not kidding you, he reared up and growled at me and this was a big Italian-American guy a guy you don't mess with and he just growled at me, now at that time Richard came next to us and went hey, how you doing Steve? And I was like, hey, how you doing? I'd like to introduce you to Robert and because the guy was all up and his chest was that he already ended that conversation on a strong, powerful note of his presence so many people sell themselves short when they're asking for something no one wants to deal with a wimpy request. No, it's embarrassing for the person who's getting it. Do you no, know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not so much. It's it just, it, you just feel uncomfortable, right? I get it. Like, you know, the, the, um, the beauty of being Australian is we don't really know how to do it any other way. So <laughs> we just kind of ask for what we want in whatever way we want to. But um, what? I want to go... I want to go a little bit deeper into into you, Steve, if that's all right. So, uh, okay, is that cool? All right, we're good with that because we go anywhere on this Any, show. Anything you want, anything you want. So, so you kind of said at the beginning about <laughs> about this being your superpower and all that. But where? Let's go back a bit. How did you? Because you're a confident guy. You 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 you're asking these questions. I get a sense that you've asked the question so many times, you've become good at whatever the bloody answer is going to be back. So you don't get the usual. Holy shit! They said no. I'm now going to go cry in the corner. It yeah. doesn't sound like you. Where did you come from? What's what's the story behind Steve Sims that got you to the place now that does these amazing things? So I'm living here in Los Angeles, but I was actually born in Reading, uh, and then I did a lot of growing up in East London, Waterstone, Leighton Stowe, yeah. and I came from 
from a construction family where your word was your bond. Now, the funny thing was, I remember as a youngster and into my early teens, just just resenting how poor I was. I remember that we would go down the pub, you know, and it was London back in the 80s, you know, when you're 14 and 15 years old, and you're kind of counting out the money you got to see how many beers you could buy. And literally, you'd split two and a half beers between four of you. You know, it was that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and I resented how poor I was. It wasn't until I was older that I realized I was always fed. I was always loved. I was always tucked in. And I was always taught your word is your bond. Now, if you said I'm going to be there Tuesday at 9 o'clock and you got there at Tuesday at 9.30 and the guy's left, you know, and you'll be like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Don't, don't matter, mate. You said 9 o'clock. You weren't here. Go screw yourself. You're done. And then I would cry to my dad and my dad would be like, don't come to me. You said 9 o'clock. You know, is your word worth nothing? And so I suddenly started to realize that you had your word and that word is your credibility. And so as I grew up, if I said, and it happened many times, I can do this for you and it's going to cost 20 grand. And then you do it, you do the event, you forget some of the other things like zoning permits or security detail or photographer or rental of property. And all of a sudden the event comes out at 25 grand. Not only have you not made any money, it's cost you bloody five grand more than what you charge the client. You can't go back to the client and charge them an extra five grand. You have just paid for the education on learning how to do your invoicing accurate. So I learned very, very early on that without your word, you are nothing. Okay, so give your word, stick to your word, and that'll carry you all the way through. I learned that from the East London. If I said something out of turn, and this is also the other thing, from East London, if I said something that upset you, I didn't know you were upset because you, you made a tweet about it the following day. I knew you was upset because I got my nose smacked in by your knuckles. It was a very easy world to understand. And so I've carried that for you. And I'm a great, I, I, I'm a great believer that we should bring the 80s back. You know, focus on the relationships. I'm so good we're going here. Let's, let's play oh. with the 80s. Come on, we're going to talk about this. So bring the relationships back. Okay, so it's, it's described to me then. Let, let's talk about the 80s because I was kind of, there you know i look young but i'm not um what about the 80s what about that era that decade that you think was powerful around relationships and some of the stuff we've already spoken about today well in the 80s if you wanted to have a conversation with someone you only had three platforms knock on their door phone them up or fax them you know that was basically <laughs> the you know, facts. The only three. Yeah. yeah the facts you know oh man those were the only real three if you want to put post in there as well but nowadays I've had people literally yell at me because they they tweeted me something or they DM'd me or they Insta messaged or so. There's so many bloody platforms that you've got to focus on that you're now responsible to receive that lame ass message. So back in the 80s, if you wanted to meet someone, you phoned them up and you went, hey, I happen to be in your neighborhood on Tuesday at two o'clock. Is that okay for me to come in and let's have a chat and a coffee? Now, let's be blunt. You weren't in that neighborhood unless they said yes. And if they said yes, you were damn well in that neighborhood. So, but you played the game. And then you sat there. Now, because you're sitting there having a cup of coffee, you know you're going to be there for 15, 20 minutes. Uh, so I want to bring that back. I do, uh, I do something within my team, and it's uh, No Email Tuesday. And you can call it No Email Thursday, Friday, whatever you like. But Tuesdays is usually the day that we do it. 
we would load up all the emails that we received up until 9.30 that morning, and then we would stop emailing. And what we would do is we would phone people. And we would phone up and we would go, hey, Nick, how are you doing? Um, I'm in the car or I'm walking down the street or I'm with the kids today. But I saw that email come in and I just wanted to ask you, what did you mean about that? Or why is that important to you? Or what's the outcome you're trying to achieve? And we would ask you an inquisitive, investigate, investigatory question to the email that you have sent in. And we noticed something. People really gravitated to the fact that you were caring about the accuracy of what the request was. And we did, we noticed something even further. The requests that we, we got came in through the email. By the time we actually phoned them back, it was a different request. It had kind of like morphed into something bigger, grander, because we had found out the core reason behind it. And so we always like to phone people. And I will do this now. I got a contract with Elton John, worked for Elton John for eight years. I found out who was in control. I got someone to make the introduction. And I saw them. I met them here in Los Angeles. And then I phoned the guy. And I went, hey, I've been looking at the Elton John AIDS Foundation. I think I've got something I can bring to the table that could be a value to you. Uh, I'm actually down in your neck of the woods on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Can we get together? Exact thing that I did in the, in the 80s. And the guy turned around to me and he went, you in New York? And of course, no, I was here in Los Angeles. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, four o'clock's absolutely fantastic. I said, great, I'll be there at four o'clock. Do you want to grab a, a dinner afterwards? Yeah, that'd be great. So then I hung up and I'm like, crap, go to New York, quick, get a flight. The bottom line of it is nothing ever beats getting in front of someone, talking to the person and asking them the most invasive confrontational, rude word in the planet, why? That's the key question I try to unload as many times into a conversation as I can. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is, this is again, as I said before, in simplicity, but delivered, you know, as a masterclass of <laughs> things, because people don't do it. I'm, I'm really, so I think there's a, let, let's, let's get this a bit practical to be boring. I want to go back to the 80s at some point as well, because it's just for fun. But um, so I've got lots of people here, right, who are, in their scale-up business world, they're you know either trying to raise money or they're trying to win customers, and they're making it really difficult for themselves. How do you? What do you say to someone like that? You know, if you were going to give some tips to people around, you know, they, you know they want to raise a million bucks for their business. Uh, where do you start with that? I mean, obviously you've said some of this already, but I'd love to see how you would advise them. Easy. Let's hit two straight off the bat. One, stop being so smart. Stop overcomplicating the communication. Okay, make it direct, make it easy, make it fast. Okay, number mm, two, good. number two, what problem are you solving and then poke the bruise? Okay, we talk about poking the bruise within my coaching clients and within my teams all the time. Poke the bruise, find the client and go, Hey, you know, are you happy with your weight? Are you happy with be uh, with your lack of energy? Are you happy about not being able to do it? Are you happy? poke the bruise, reveal the problem, and then go, I have the solution. You see, here's the daft thing. If I go to you and I say, hey, phone me up tomorrow night at uh, 10 o'clock at night, and I will give you half a million dollars, okay? Then that's something that you've got to do. But if I phone you up at 10 o'clock tomorrow night when you're fast asleep, and I say, fire, your ass is gone. You know, the bottom line is, 
we move on pain, never on pleasure. So if you give someone the opportunity, hey, you could be a lot thinner, you could be beautiful, you could be gorgeous, you could be the sexiest person in the world, that's an aspiration, okay? If I go, hey, you happy about being that fat? Are you happy about being ill? Are you happy about your headaches? That's a pain, and people will act on pain. So find the uh, solution that you find a problem that you are a solution to. So you see, no, I got it. But you see lots of um, people, brands, whatever else, they, they tend to go to the aspiration. They sell, let's call it the dream of what it's becoming. So, I mean, yeah. sometimes they do both, right? They, they try and paint the picture of both pain and pleasure. But, you know, your point is that people, what they, they associate more with the, the reality that they're in or the negative connotation of that as opposed to the thing they haven't quite got yet? Well, they will act more on it. Uh, they, will act, okay. they will act on things that bother them. Um, you know, if you go, hey, if you save all of your money to um, you know, go on this wonderful holiday next year, they're not saving it. They're going down the pub. They're going out for meals. You know, they're, they're, they're paying their bills. But if I say, hey, this weekend, you've got to pay your credit card bill because next week the interest rate doubles up, you act on it. People act on pain. They don't act on pleasure. Yeah, okay, I like that. So that's a powerful message for people who are kind of then trying to influence. I mean, a lot of this stuff is is really, really um, practical, simple ways of influencing. I said that beforehand. Yeah, yeah, and I don't take offense by it. It really, And this is what kind of amazed me. When I did my book, um, and it, it was a whole weird story how this happened, but I didn't go out to write a book. Uh, because of my network, I was in the right party at the right time with the right person. A week later, I was offered a book deal. So I was very fortunate. And I literally thought to myself, no one's going to buy this book. You know, it's so ridiculous. It's so, and I've said to people, if you buy the book, it's going to piss you off because it's going to reveal the obvious things that you somehow decided you were too smart to do. And so when the book came out, first month, I think it sold like 400 copies. Second month, it sold like 300 and something going the wrong way. And like the third <laughs> month, it sold 8,000 copies. Now it's been worldwide, it's translated in, Thai, Japanese, Vietnamese, Polish. Um, I think it's, it's been translated now in Russian. It hasn't been released yet in Russian, but um, it's all over the planet. And I'm literally going around speaking to some really incredibly powerful, intelligent people saying, dumb it down, get more impactful, stop overthinking this shit. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that I would say is it's cutting through the bullshit that we all put up because – because, you know, we make things harder than they yep. are because we have fear that, you know, rejection or fear of I'm not good enough and all the other shit that people talk about. But what you're saying is, fuck that. I'm just going to I'm going to land this. Sometimes it's going to land well. I'm sure there's been many a story where you've landed something in the way that I could see you would do it. It hasn't probably gone how you wanted. <laughs> right. Yeah. OK, good. I'm, I'm glad I got that one. Right. Yeah. Um, but but then, you know, I suppose like anything, if you if you keep trying, you keep iterating, right? You 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 get to a level of mastery. <laughs> yeah, and 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 here's, and you're very you're very sharp, Nick. The mastery comes from the fact of when you screw up. The mastery never comes from the success you have. It comes from the mistakes you made. Your growth comes from the crap. And so every time I've walked into a deal and I've asked for something and it hasn't happened, I've been able to go leave that meeting and go. Where did I lose them? You know, I had their interest because they invited me into the room. They thought I was credible enough because they had me present to that 10 people, but I lost it. Where did I lose it? So if you can finalize that, you don't trip over the same step twice. 
the next time you come along, it's a home run because you fix that element. Yeah, and that in itself takes a certain degree of self-awareness and discipline in its own right. Because a lot of people, they have that that negative response and then they don't want to front up to what happened. You know, the idea of what you said, okay, let's work out what happened here. Like I did, the front door was locked. Did I try the back door? Did I try the 20 windows, as you said before? But most often they go, the front door was locked or more importantly, I tried to open the door and I got kicked back on the, my ass. And <laughs> then they don't want to go back to that house, right? Yeah, there's a lot of people that can like fight about that, but I, I think I didn't care. Um I was. I really didn't care about anyone seeing me fail, which is a problem today. You know, people people aren't scared of failing. They're scared of people seeing them fail. They're scared of starting a business and then it goes pop. They're scared of trying something and everyone laughs at their copy or their marketing. I had, um, and I'm going to name drop, and I apologize straight off the bat, but I was doing an event with Elon Musk, and this was before NASA actually took him on to build the rockets. Okay. And we were walking through SpaceX in Hawthorne, and I had two billionaires with me, both my clients, eagerly trying to engage Elon in a conversation. Elon doesn't do conversations. He really doesn't care about that. One of my clients was kind of a bit quiet, was asking a question every couple of minutes. But the other one was chatting around like a little, you know, like a little chimpanzee. was like, oh, did you do this? What did you think about oh, this? What did man. You think? It yeah, sounds cringy it, even the way you're saying it. It was. It was. And I was borderline just about to go, hey, chill you know just about to step in to do that and he turned around with this this question he asked elon uh how do you feel about nasa actually publicly ridiculing someone coming into the to the uh, space industry and he asked that he was obviously trying to get a rise and a reaction out of elon because of all of his polite questions hadn't worked and i looked at the guy thinking one more word and you get a slap elon didn't even look at him, but turned around and said, you know what? They always laugh at you before they applaud. And it was like 10 wow. months later, NASA gave him the contract. And it's correct. We're stupid a millimeter before we're genius. So you've got to focus on the fact that if you're falling over, that's because the next time you're going to be flying. So yeah. take, it, take it as earning your stripes to get to what you need to. I quite like the other point that you made from that. When, when the guy, when your client was more direct with Elon, he got the response and he got a great response. So there's something a, else in that, isn't there? <laughs> he got a nugget. He got, he, got a, he got an absolute nugget that I've repeated a million and one times. Yeah, it's brilliant. So what, what, are, you, so what are you trying to achieve? Okay, so, you know, in terms of, I, I hate asking this, the crappy questions about vision and mission and all that sort of thing, but I'm just curious about, you know, what is, what is excite Steve? What is, what does he get up every day and want to, want to achieve? Where's he going? What's that look like? Do you have that? Or is it more, more about being present and just making the most of every day? No, it's, it's become, it's become an obligation. Um, Great. see, I run, I run an event. I run a, a company that used to do these amazing experiences. When the book came out, suddenly I wasn't working with billionaires. I was working with CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to refine them. I found more excitement in building someone's company up to be successful because it impacted so many more people than spending a billionaire's money so he could get a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses or sing on stage with Journey. So I found that I got more excitement out of getting people, nine times out of ten, out of the way of their own smartness. Um, and with the book, I had a lot of people asking me, so I've been speaking all over the planet coaching i run these private events called speakeasies so it's just grown and that's what's excited me so i want people to have a greater i can than an iq 
Got it. So I can see how that's more rewarding because, you know, getting someone to have to live their dream, if you like, of doing something because they've got a lot of cash or whatever, that's cool. But you like you're not going into businesses and making a bigger impact from that. Yeah. Let's let's get deeper into that piece because that'll be useful for people on this show as well, listening. Okay. Where where's the point of precision that you go into these businesses? Or you know, is there a point where you go, then you know what, this is the bit that I affect. This is the bit that I'm gonna go in there and go deep into. Yeah, and it's always the solution. You see, you could buy technology for absolutely anything. I could buy technology on an iPhone that makes me look thinner, taller, and green. You know, we can get technology up the wazoo. But before you start focusing $60,000 on a beautiful click funnel campaign and a CRM program and a website, identify what is the problem that you are the solution to. And then find a client that validates that you are the solution. And then double it up. And then from those two clients, see if you can get four clients out of the same solution. Now you have a scalable model. Most people, when they go into business, they go, well, I've got 50 grand on my credit cards. I better get an office. I better get a nice desk. I better get... No, those are all superficial. Focus on the solution. And nine times out of 10, that becomes the message. So you, whenever I go into a company, the first thing I do is I look at the message. What are you talking to your people about? What are you showing them that you actually solve? What is the solution that you are putting out there to that problem? That is nine times out of 10, the missing link on everything. They, they can't communicate what they are the solution to. They have a great CRM. They have a lovely desk with a hot receptionist and all that kind of crap. But they're about 10 months <laughs> because they don't solve someone's problem. Yeah. And there's a piece there where people like to make it more complex. Again, back to back to this thread that's going through our conversation today. Why is it that people make things harder? Because they can pay for it. Most people like to throw money at the problem, even though it's the wrong, wrong, the wrong direction. When you say to someone, oh, you can do this. And I, I, I actually did this a while ago. I was dealing with uh, Cameron Howard and we were running a, a live stream uh, on one of our Facebook groups, and it was on free PR. How to get free PR in all of the major publications, okay? Now, we spoke earlier about how to introduce yourself. Getting publicity is one of those ways to introduce yourself. Get Forbes to write an article on you, and you're validated by Forbes. Get the New York Times, the London Times. So how do you get the press? We did an hour long, and then we did a follow-up 45-minute, like about a month later, on how, how it's working, what, do we find any problems? Straight after that, we got people contacting us going, how much do you charge to do it? It was easier for them to go, and I literally said to someone, I said, I'll charge 20 grand for this. I've just given you two hours telling you how you do it for free, and I wanted to, I wanted to poke the guy. So I went, oh, yeah, I charge 20 grand. And he's like, oh, that's fantastic. So I'm like, are you fucking kidding? I just I'm not sh- surprised, Steve. I'm not surprised. I mean, I, okay, I'll, I'll tell you kind of a, a slight segue, right? This is, this is your interview, but I'm going to give you some stuff on this. <laughs> I, I, I used to go do business mentoring, right? Because I've had you know, a number of businesses that have grown and sold and done all that crazy stuff, right? And then I kind of realized something. I had this epiphany, right? I was out there you know, effectively teaching people how to have the sort of success that I'd had in business, right? And then I realized no one was doing anything, okay? And, 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 and then I sort of said, well, hold on. How about we come in and we do it for you, right? We'll bring in like, you know, we'll go back to the 80s. I'll bring the A team in and we'll just do it. And like literally you should see people's faces. You do that? Oh, my God. I don't care about the cash. 
come and do it. <laughs> I'm like, now, for you, okay. for you. Now I can understand that. Um, but if I'm giving you ten steps to follow, just ten steps. This is how. This was how simple and stupid it was. We were giving people ten steps on how to do it. You know, a, 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 anyone could have. Stevie Wonder could have seen how beautiful this was, but they didn't do it. And that was the stupidity. If you're doing business dynamics and you're working on a campaign, so yeah, having someone that knows how to do copy and has, but we gave you the 10 unmissable steps on how to do it and people would still rather pay. And guess what? They're paying for the problem to go to someone else's doorstep. People mm, will throw yeah. money at them. And that's the thing. People go, it must be my website. I better stick another 10 grand into my website. It must be my click funnel campaign. I better spend another 10 grand. I bet. They forget on the one thing. Someone wants your product. And whatever product it is, whether it be a Ford car, whether it be an Apple iPhone, they wanted to solve a problem. Now, there's all the aspirational stuff around it. But at the end of the day, it's got to do X, Y, Z. If you want to buy a car, but it can't go anywhere, no matter how beautiful that car is, you're not buying it. Because at the end of the day, it's got to start, it's got to rumble, and it's got to go. So they're missing out on the basic, basic, basic point of the message of what they're trying to convey to their clients. Yeah. Okay. Every everything everything sort of lends itself back to simplicity here. You know, yeah. the fact that we probably know what we should be doing, but for various reasons we don't. You know, for reasons like it gets in, it gets in our head. It could be we talked about fear. It could be laziness, apathy, yep. whatever. Wow, yeah, cool. you're totally right, Nick. You're 100 correct. People, the thing that you you're scared of doing is probably the thing you need to be doing twice. Yeah, no, indeed. And the, and the, I more often than not in in the various businesses that we either get involved in or invest in, or the founders, the chief execs, everything usually comes back to playing the man, playing the woman, playing the person. Right? Always. Like you know, there's usually when someone says that person's a poor leader or a great leader. It's normally an intrinsic view of that individual in terms of their own psychology and how they feel about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm looking at you talking through this. I can tell you're very comfortable in your own skin. Some people would say, "Oh, Steve doesn't give a shit," but you know what? I don't see that at all. I see someone who's very passionate. But I, you know, you say whatever you want to say, right? Yeah, not fearful of that. Bear, yeah, bear in mind, you know, I'm I'm 54 years old now, and I've been doing this for like 20 plus years. So I would say that I had the same trepidation, uh, doubt, concerns. Um, double guessing, a uh, little devil on my shoulder, like every other business does. Um, but I think one of my key things was, one, I wanted to analyze every single one of my failures. You see, when you want to drive a car, you pay a driving instructor to teach you how to drive a car. When you want to know how to do accounting in a business, you either pay for a course to learn how to do accounting, or you screw up and it costs you a couple of, a couple of grand <laughs> and you just learn that. So I'm a great believer um, in education. And I say, I'm an incredibly educated man, but school had nothing to do with that. So mm. this is like 40 plus years, of course, simply screwing up. And you're right. The amount of times I've gone and gone, oh, can I get out on John to ride in on a pink pony? And they told me to go screw myself. And I've gone, oh, crap. And then the next time I've come back in, you know, I've rephrased it. You learn from your mistakes. And I've learned a lot. And I love, I love failing. The thing that I'm scared about is not stretching myself to fail because it's that those points of failure that you get your greatest growth. Yeah. Okay. Let's underline that because, again, I think that's another point that people kind of forget. They think that failure is going to be this thing that absolutely cripples them, whatever else. But it's, it's, I mean, you know, what you're saying here is you get better with practice. 
if you embrace yeah. it, there's a point where you realize it's not going to kill you. And actually it serves you in a, in a more powerful way anyway. Uh, 100% is there for you. You know, they've just gone, no, oh, that didn't work. I had a, I'll, I'll give you a quick, quick question, a quick, quick story if I may. Um, yeah, I'm a massive motorcycle fan. Okay. I race motorcycles. I rode, motor, rode motorcycles. I don't have a car. Haven't had one for 20 years. Um, I was at the MotoGP race in Austin, Texas about three years ago. Because of you know the way my head works, I'm always trying to get into the velvet ropes and the rooms I shouldn't be. So I'd managed to worm my way into the garage of a motorcycle crew. And they're, they're wondering who the hell I am, but I'm holding myself confident. There was a guy that had the plastics off of the front of this motorcycle and was hitting it with like a toning fork. And it had some kind of digital reader. And he's literally laid on his side going ding, ding, and looking at this little this little dial. So in a heartbeat, I laid down on the other side of the bike and we're staring through the engine at each other. And literally like a little kid, I said to him, what are you doing? Now he's looking at me thinking, well, who's this guy? Is he a sponsor? Is he like related to the owner of the team? So he didn't want to tell me to go scream himself, but so, but he didn't want to have a conversation. And he's like, oh, I'm testing it. A ding, ding. I said, what are you testing for? Ding, ding. He said, I, I've just got to get this done. Ding, ding. And I kept pushing because I wanted to know what the hell he was doing. Why was he hitting all parts of this engine? So you're doing it. your whole why thing, Steve. You're going, you're doing like the 10 whys in a row. 100% of that coming thick and fast. <laughs> in the end, he literally looked through the engine casing directly into my eyes and he was pissed. And he turned around and he said, I'm trying to see where it's cracked or failed. And I said to him, why? Again, probably on number 30th, why? He said, because it's only where I, when I can see the engine has failed that I can strengthen that area and make it faster. Good enough for you? And I really, all of a sudden, some guys started coming, and I realized I was out of there. So I left, and I came back once the race was over, and I started walking over to him, and you saw the guy going, oh, shit, here's that guy. <laughs> and I said to him, look, man, you don't know who I am. Uh, I do this. I work for these people. I, I offer advice. What you gave me was gold. The fact that you were paid, paid. You actually had a specific role in the company to find failure. In fact, if you didn't find failure, you were fired. Your job was only worth its salt if you found it. And he was like, well, yeah. I said, people don't do that. People run away from failure. They won't try things because they're failure. You've got a job to find where it goes wrong. We ended up communicating. I actually had that guy on one of my live AMAs talking about how he had a job to find a failure. But he actually searched high and low around that engine to find fatigue or stress fracture, fractures in the crankcase where it was exerting too much energy so they could shore that area up so the engine could achieve greater revs and quite simply perform better. Oh, man, that's a great story. What a gift that is for you to kind of find that in that place too. You weren't expecting that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And the, some of the advice I've received, like the Elon Musk, like this guy, some of the advice I've, I've received and some of the growth I've received has come from the strangest of places. Yeah, I can see that. But you're putting yourself in positions which most people, for whatever reason, don't go into. Like the, the, the other word that comes to mind as you're talking is curiosity. You know, there's a piece yeah. where you come across as a curious guy. You're asking the question. You, you said it's why for various reasons, but asking why can unlock so much stuff. 
because you often oh, get a response back that you don't expect. Oh, yeah. My wife says I'm a 54-year-old, four-year-old. I am literally the, the <laughs> East London Irish kid that wants the extra lollipop just before lunchtime. Um, I am constantly going. And here's – I'm going I'm to give you one, all right? This is, this, this is a good old gift for you if you're okay with it. I got a phone. This is the power of why. If any of you have ignored the rest of the podcast, sit up straight, take notes. This is the power of caring for the why. So I get a phone call. I think this was about four years ago. I've been working for Elton John for a number of years uh, for his Oscar party here at Elton John with all the celebrities and stuff. And I get this phone call from this guy, and it came through to one of my team. And my team put it through to me and went, I got this guy on the phone, and he wants to meet Sir Elton John. Something's a bit strange. Can you take the call? Absolutely. So I took the call, said, hey, how you doing? He's like, hey, how you doing? New York guy. Uh, I want to I want to go and meet Elton John. I believe you work with the uh, the Elton John Oscar party. I want to go along. I want to meet the guy. Uh, yeah, I do. And I went, great. Why? And he turned around and went, um, well, because he's one of the most famous singers out there. He's, uh, he's an icon. He's Elton. You know, he's one of the last greats. He's going to die soon, and I want to get a picture with him. That was it. So I said to him, all right. You know, let me see what I can do and I'll come back to you. Never called him back, never wanted anything to do with him again. About a month later, we get another phone call coming. And it came through to one of my team and the team came over and they went, Steve, do you remember that guy that asked to see me out and John? I went, yeah. He went, we got another guy on the phone. I think it's his buddy. And where you've ignored this guy, I think his buddy's now contact. And I'm like, oh, I'll get rid of him, put him through. This guy gets on the phone and I'm like, hey, how you doing, Steve Simpson? How can I help you? Yeah, I believe you work with Elton John at his Oscar party. I want to meet Sir Elton John. So I said, oh, that sounds fantastic. Why? A little bit quieter on his response. He went, well, um, and he goes through very much of what the first guy did. Because people give you knee-jerk reactions. People don't want to reveal the why. They're embarrassed. People are very embarrassed about telling you what really makes them tick. So the guy goes, well, you know, he's an icon and he's famous and he's, he's talented and I really want to meet him and I want to have a chat with him and there's things. And it was that drop-off, there's things. So I said to him quietly in my best Chris Voss voice, I said to him, what things? And he hit me with this. All quiet, he said to me, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school. He used to pick me up and bring me home from school. Never in all my school years did my mum do it. It was my thing with my dad. My dad would take me to school, would bring me home all the way through the years. The first car that he used to take me to school had a cassette stuck in the car. We couldn't eject the damn thing. It was Elton John. On the way to school, we would sing Elton John. On the way back from school, we would sing Elton John. Now, as the cars changed through the years, he would get a CD and pop it in there. It became our thing. We went to school only when Elton John was on, and we came home with Elton John blaring. And we would sing, and I remember my teenage years as he's taking me to high school, and I'm looking out the window hating the fact that he wouldn't stop singing Elton John, but he still would. He said, now, my, my dad died about 20-plus years ago. 
And as I'm driving down the road, maybe taking my kids to school, maybe going on a business trip, the radio's on. When Elton John comes on, my dad sat in the passenger seat singing Elton John with me. Every time Elton comes on for three minutes, he brings my dad back to me. I want to say thank you for that. Now, I contacted out and I told him this story. They met together. They hugged it out. There was tears freaking everywhere. Even when I tell that story, I feel all misty. And I'm almost crying. You know what? I've got, you know, I'm trying to be this, this, this I cried. Know, bravo no. Australian dude. And like, I've got goose pimple things going on. Oh, dude, when I was on the <laughs> oh, phone, the guy telling me this, you know, I've, I've got like, you know, oh, no, I've got symptoms. You know, I'm, I'm allergic to something. I was wailing. And when oh, he was man. telling the story, it was the why. Now, it had taken us three times to get to it. But do you think there would have been any money that he would have not paid to have been able to have accomplished what his goal is? No. But, no. But it's just, but it's such, I mean, but even you, I'm thinking, I'm not thinking about him at this point. I'm thinking about you hearing this. And, you know, I've met you for, what, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, but I can see that you would have wanted to make this happen. Oh, it had to happen. It, That's it what I mean. The, the whole money was the, the money was irrelevant because we'd found the why. Um, yeah, exactly. We've got, we got a lot of clients that have done some insane, stupid things um, because they wanted to give you know give themselves better cocktail stories, or they wanted to be able to show off, or they wanted to be able to you know X Y Z, or you know grow up in their social influencer world, or show off great Instagram pictures because they're on the roof of something. We've had those, but along the way, I got a lot of people that had whys. And that's what moved me really into my my brand is now. I love to uncover the why, and I need to I, I need to the right word. I need to expose it. Man, that's I I love that story. As I said, I've still got goosebump goosebumps. And when I said before, just to be clear, when I said about you know what are we talking about? There's so many different things today, and we talked about influence. I didn't mean influencer, right? I didn't mean that at all because there's something about transparent influence, the ability to kind of make things happen, which is very different from what we now call inverted commas influencer. So yes. I wouldn't want to dumb you down with that title by any stretch because what you do is not that, not in my book. All right, I'm not offended. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just no, but I think, I think sometimes it, when people listen to that, they get confused by some of these bits and pieces, right? Because there's so many people out there trying to become the next Instagram hero. Um, and that's why I can be done the wrong way. Listen, um, I want to ask you a couple of questions to finish with today, yeah. Steve. Um, and I, you know, a couple of them are just kind of because I'm curious and interested. Um, the most, well, let's, let's start with this one. The best piece of advice you've ever been given? From my dad. I can answer that in a heartbeat. From my dad walking through London. He's chain smoking like crazy. As we're strolling through London, he takes his cigarette out of his mouth, puts his hand on, puts his hand on my shoulder. He says to me, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And he put his cigarette back in his mouth and carried on walking. At the age of like 14 years old, I literally stopped going, what the hell was that? Thinking of being consumed <laughs> by a fortune cookie. But it's amazing how many times I fall in the water on a regular basis. And it's my, it's my decision whether or not I drown or I get up. Okay, love it. All right. And the worst piece of advice? <laughs> The customer is always right. <laughs> the customer doesn't know half the time. No, I've always said the customer doesn't know what they don't know. That's your job. Great. Okay. And out of all the things, all the, the uh, events, experiences that you've been involved in, the one that stands out for you the most, I appreciate this could be a challenging question, and why? Ooh. Well, I've had some amazing ones like, you know, 
I did a duet with Andrea Bocelli in Florence just for shits and giggles. Um, I hung out <laughs> with the Pope in the Vatican. Um, I, I played drums with Guns N' Roses. I, I got up with a ton of stuff, but I think it's probably the Elton John story that I gave you. Yeah. That impacted far deeper than a cool cocktail story. And this was like four years ago. And I, I, I still well up whenever I, I, I tell it. So I would say it is, it is the, the impact that I learn, I yearn for now rather than the pretty location or, you know, star spangled celebrity. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that story on this show because it was powerful. Definitely one of the more powerful ones we've ever had. So that's great. And last question I've got for you is if, if you could change one thing in the world today, what would that be? I'd love to turn the Wi-Fi off. I'd love to, I'd love to turn the Wi-Fi off for, for, for a month and actually have people do this really weird thing like talk to each other or knock <laughs> on each other's door or have to go down to the pub to have a conversation. So, yeah, I think I'd be the annoying little get the turn to Wi-Fi. I love it. I almost want to kind of cue, cue our production people to kind of go into the 80s now and, and play a really bad Knight Rider theme song or something like that. But. <laughs> That would be cool, wouldn't it? But no, we haven't yeah, got that. We're not quite that technically advanced here on Scale Up Your Business. Well, listen, um, Steve Sims, it's been a pleasure. I, you know what? I knew this conversation was going to be kind of out there and a bit of fun. It's delivered in spades, mate. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you um, and all that sort of thing? Well, I have a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. It's free of charge, but I go in there and talk about the things I'm getting up to, the things that are working well for me, the things that are failing, and all of our people can ask questions. I'm at stevedsims.com, and I've got the Art of Making Things Happen podcast, which I know a certain fantastic person's coming on soon. So, Australia. That's fun. We're going to have some fun on that too. And what's, yeah. and what's the title of your book as well, Steve, if people want to go on? We'll link all this in the show notes, but what's the title of the book? Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Oh, man. Well, that, that I think the art of making things happen is going to be the title of this show because you've covered so many areas. I'm struggling for choice, but that one jumps out. So listen, Steve Sims, mate, awesome to have you on Scaly Business. I'm very grateful for your time and all the stuff you've done. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. 